evening's reading is taken from Colossians 4, uh, verses 2 through to 18, and can be found in the Church Bible on page 1184. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Ephraim, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and full, fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and, the, and for those at Laodicea and Heriopolis, sorry, I don't know these names. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodicea. Laodiceans, and that you turn and you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Marvellous. Do pick up your Bibles. We're going to be looking at that last section of Colossians 
together, and uh, I'm going to pray for us as we turn our attention there. Father, as we've just sung, so we pray again, please would you show us Christ. Please would you help us to see him in the words that we read a few moments ago. Please would you show us what it looks like for us to follow him. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, I wonder how many of you read before you go to bed. Some people help uh, find that helps them to nod off. I know if I read when I'm in bed, the words just start blurring and I'm out like that. And some books are more likely to have that effect than others. I don't know if you've ever tried reading the phone book, for example. It's not exactly a gripping story. It's just a list of names, isn't it? Well, this last bit of Colossians has been likened to a phone book. It is a list of names of people we don't know, and pretty difficult names at that. Or it's like scrolling through somebody else's Facebook friends. There might be a couple of people that you recognize. You think, oh, Mark and Luke, is that the Mark and Luke, as in Mark's gospel or Luke's gospel? Yes, it is. Oh, well, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> but why do we need to know that? And why do we need to, who's Nympha? Why do we need to know about her? I think it might be time to close the book and switch the light off, maybe. Well, no, actually, there's a lot more going on here. The Apostle Paul is not stupid. He doesn't write an amazing letter for three chapters and then give up on the final chapter. He's still making that same point, even here, that Christ is all that we need and that we need to continue in Christ. This list of names that we've looked at are people who are doing it right, or people who need to keep doing it right, keep keeping Jesus central, keep making it him the main thing. To those first readers, this bit would not have been boring or dull at all. It would have sounded like David Rowe says hi. Rachel and the Kids Own team, you keep going with this. Pass on my love to the home group who meets at Graham and Sandra's house. It would have been incredibly personal, incredibly engaging. This might have been the bit that they actually listened most to as they start seeing how these particular things they've been hearing about apply to them, how those people in particular are making everything about Jesus and need to keep doing that. And I think this final section pulls out Three big themes from the letter, things that we've seen already over the past few weeks, and they're all pulled together. Uh, those three themes are going to be proclaiming Jesus, being united in Jesus, and persevering in Jesus. So as we look at these, we're going to see some of the things of the individuals that are mentioned, and we'll do a bit of looking back at the letter and go, do you remember where we've seen that? Do you remember how we've seen that? And pulling it all together. So let's take a look at the first of those themes, and that is proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming Jesus. Right since the letter began, we've been seeing how Jesus is absolutely supreme. He is the greatest, he is the best, and so the news about Jesus needs to be proclaimed. If you remember all those weeks ago, back in chapter 1, verse 5 to 7, we saw how was it that the Colossians were saved? Well, it was when they heard, when they learned, when they understood the good news. That's why we keep talking about the good news. It's as we proclaim Jesus that people hear that and are saved. 
And the first example of doing that in this section is Paul and his companions. And Paul's example, Paul's big concern is of speaking clearly. That's what he needs prayer for. That's what he wants to do, keeping on speaking clearly about Jesus. See that in verses 3 and 4 of our passage today. He says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He really wants the message about Jesus to get out there. He wants to keep speaking clearly of Jesus. And he talks about it as a mystery. We've heard about mysteries before. If you remember chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he spoke about the gospel as something that was hidden but has now been revealed. It's not a secret anymore. It's quite the opposite of a secret. It's something that everybody needs to know. The mystery has been solved. The mystery now needs to be proclaimed. It's Jesus. He is the one we need. And so we don't want to keep that mystery a mystery. We don't want to be all mysterious about it, like the false teachers we've been hearing about who acted like the real things you need to know are secret things. They're hidden things that only I know, that only you know if you join my little club. No, it's not about that inner circle. It's a a mystery that's now revealed and needs to be proclaimed. It may be a mystery, but it needs to be spoken clearly so that everybody can understand it. We need to proclaim Jesus clearly. That's how Paul wants to do it. And that's his part in it. Paul is a a frontline kind of person out there. He needs to speak Jesus clearly. What about us? What about ordinary Christians like us? What role do we have in proclaiming Jesus? Well, one thing in this passage uh, that the Colossians are called to do is to pray devotedly. Paul doesn't ask the Colossians to come and be exactly like him as a frontline missionary, does he? And say, pray that I would speak it clearly and pray that you would do exactly what I've been doing. No, he asks them to pray in verse 2 and 3. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, dot, dot, dot. Pray for us in what we're doing. Proclaiming Jesus requires prayer. It is a work of God. The word and prayer go together. As, as many people have said before, that, that real ministry is talking to people about God and talking to God about people. We are proclaiming Jesus and we're calling on God to work. But notice what he asks them to pray. He says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He's in chains. He's in prison. If that were me, I would be saying, and pray for us too that God may open a door, like a door, that he may open the door and we can get out of prison. But he doesn't ask for that. He asks for God to open a door for their message. There is a very easy way to open the the door of the jail, and that is to stop proclaiming Jesus. If Paul would just shut up, he could leave tonight. But no, he won't do that. He says, no, pray for us, that even if I am stuck here in prison, that the gospel would run free and spread. 
People who proclaim Jesus face enormous pressures to be quiet. Are we joining them by praying for them, praying for their message? Are we devoted to praying, being watchful, as in alert, committed, actually doing it? This is a huge way that ordinary Christians like the Colossians and like us can play a part in proclaiming Jesus, is praying devotedly for that work. But there's more as well. The Colossians themselves are encouraged to speak up when they get the chance, to answer people when they get the opportunity. See that in verse 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. (laughs) Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Just like us, most of the people the Colossians knew or met or bumped into were not Christians. People they saw on the bus, people in the shop, colleagues, family, friends. And he's saying, look, you may not be Paul, you may not be proclaiming in that sense, but think about how you act when you are around non-Christians. Because we want to proclaim Jesus to them when we get the chance. Be wise. Be thoughtful. Make the most of that time. Look for opportunities. Try to take them. But notice the context. He isn't saying everyone needs to stand at the front. Everyone needs to do an evangelistic talk. The context is conversation. Chatting. Let your conversation be always full of grace. That's the kind of evangelism that far more people can do. If we just think evangelism is doing a talk, or I have to be up the front, or I have to have some all sorted and together, this says play your part by letting your conversations be like this. Be full of grace. And I think that's grace in the form and grace in the content. So grace in how we speak, being gracious, not being harsh, being forgiving, being kind. And grace in what we say as well. Our conversation is full of the message of grace. That's how we want to talk, isn't it? We're told our conversation, our general way of chatting, should be seasoned with salt. Now, what on earth does that mean? Uh, In modern slang, you know when somebody is, is not cool anymore, when they say, in modern slang, let me give you a definition of apparently what the kids all say. To be salty is to be upset or annoyed when someone has done something wrong. So, oh, he's all very salty about that. Uh, It doesn't mean that. Don't be that kind of salty. It's not talking about salty language as in uh, swearing like a sailor. It's not that kind of thing. For our talking, our speaking to have that salt is to have a flavor of Christ. Salt preserves. Salt does good. Salt makes things taste nice. So he's saying instead of speaking in a way that is distasteful, instead of speaking in a way that's unsavory, let the way we talk be winsome, be appealing, be like a tasty meal that is nourishing on the one hand and it's delicious as well. If we can speak like that, full of grace, seasoned with salt, then we will know how to answer everyone. I think what that means is, That is how to answer everyone. When you get those opportunities, just speak in a way like that. We don't have to have all the answers. 
We don't have to be an expert or give a lecture or give a sermon, but in our everyday conversations, they are sprinkled with a a flavor of Jesus. And that kind of life, that kind of conversation provokes questions. And this is saying, take the opportunity, have a go at answering them, of proclaiming Jesus in a natural, everyday way. Are we ready to do that? Have we thought about it? Because that's what we're told to do, isn't it? Be wise. Have a think about this. If Christ really is all we need, as we've been seeing, then he is all that everybody else needs as well, and we want to share him with them. And so we play our part in proclaiming Jesus by praying for other people and taking those chances when we can. But proclaiming Jesus isn't just in evangelism, whether up front or in more informal ways. Even Christians need to have Jesus proclaimed to us, don't they? Which is where Tychicus comes in, encouraging their hearts. I like to think of Tychicus as being a very, very small man, a very little titchy man. It would be a good name for a hamster, wouldn't it? Um, Anyway, forget about that. That's not what he's about. In verse 7 to 8, we're told that Tychicus is... Uh, delivering this letter. He's one of the people he's been sent by Paul with the letter. And it says, verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. And then in verse 8 as well, he says, uh, I've sent him so that you may know about our circumstances. So he's saying, look, he's got more than just this letter. He's bringing you some news. He's bringing you an update, probably on their prison situation. But here's why else he's been sent in verse 8 and that he may encourage your hearts. That he may come to you and encourage your hearts. Now that isn't just about cheering them up. It is about proclaiming Christ. Flick back with me to chapter 2, verse 2. And in this section, uh, Paul is explaining why he's working so hard proclaiming Christ. Why does he bother doing this? Even when it gets him in so much trouble, why does he keep proclaiming Christ? Well, he says this in chapter 2, verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he's saying proclaiming Jesus, that Jesus is it, he is the treasure, he is the main thing in the universe, proclaiming Jesus, that is how you encourage someone's heart. You don't just say, oh, you look nice today. You tell them about Jesus. That is what fills us with courage, isn't it? That is what keeps us going when all kinds of other things come in and tell us to look elsewhere. That's why we gather as a church, to listen to his words. So we can be reminded of Jesus. We can be reinvigorated to live for him. And so Paul says, well, that's what I want. And so I'm going to send Tychicus because he is a great example of someone who will proclaim Jesus to you and encourage your hearts so that you keep going. How are we doing at that as well? Why not make it a special effort this evening to encourage someone's heart? Or, or this week, and again, not just saying nice things, complimenting their shoes or something like that, talking about Jesus with fellow Christians 
in a way that spurs them on, encouraging one another's hearts. That's part of what it looks like, as we saw a few weeks ago, to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly, just as we chat. Again, discipleship, training, helping one another, it isn't all done from the front. It's as we chat to one another, just like our evangelism is done, as we chat to one another. Tychicus is a great example of encouraging people's hearts. Let's check in with one another, see how we're doing, help one another to keep walking with Jesus. And that draws on to our next big theme. We've seen about proclaiming Jesus, whether that's in evangelism, whether that's supporting it in prayer, whether that's speaking to other Christians. Part of why we do that together is because we are united in Jesus. That's the reality. As believers, we are not just separate people. We're not just doing our own thing. We want to encourage one another's hearts because we're a big family. We're united in Jesus. The false teachers, sometimes we think about false teaching as if the worst thing about false teaching is that it's false, that it's just that it's not true. And that is a bad thing. It's, it's, it's a bad thing to be wrong on that. But one of the bad things as well is that false teachers split people apart. These people made it just about me and my experience of God or about an in-group and then there's the also-rounds as well. We're the in-group. We really know it. But Paul keeps countering that time and again by saying, no, the real gospel makes us one in Christ. We're united in him. And you see that throughout this section. People greeting one another. So-and-so sends greetings. So-and-so sends greetings. So There's lots of saying hi, lots of catching up on news, lots of praying for each other. It's kind of coffee time written down, isn't it? As we greet one another. But here as well, what he calls them throughout this section, everybody's either a fellow servant or a fellow prisoner or a fellow worker. It's all co-this, co-that, doing it together. Everybody's a dear brother or a dear friend or one of you or brothers and sisters. Again, there's such affectionate ways of talking about one another. There's real unity. And it's a unity in Jesus. This is not just people who happen to get on. This is not just people who are very, very similar to one another, similar backgrounds, but people who share faith in Christ. An example of this are the three Jewish people mentioned in verse 10 to 11, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus. No, not that Jesus, the one with the nickname Justus. If your name was Jesus, you would probably find another nickname, wouldn't you? It might get a bit confusing in church life, uh, all the songs. Not me, not me. Aristarchus, we're told, is in prison with Paul. Mark and Justus are not in prison with Paul, but they, they also say hello. And then we're told something about them in verse 11. We're told, these three, these are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. That idea of saying, actually, it's been so comforting to have these guys with me, because there aren't very many of them. Paul was Jewish. He longed for Jews to join him in receiving Jesus as the promised Messiah, the promised king of that kingdom. And yet, there's only three Jews working for the kingdom in his team other than him. Why is that? Well, one clue is, literally it says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. And circumcision is something that's come up before in the letter, hasn't it? 
people saying that if you want the full Christian experience, the sort of first-class package, well, then you have to become Jewish as well. Jesus was great as a starter, but if you want the main course and the pudding as well, well, then you need all this extra stuff. You need things like circumcision. You need things like these religious rituals and rules. And Paul is saying you don't need that stuff. You just need Jesus. He's the one you need. And so by this point, people seem to be dropping off. And these three are the only ones left. People who've chosen to be more loyal to their Jewish roots than to their new Christian identity. And Colossians, in part, has been written, hasn't it, to say, don't do that. Christ is all you need. And so Paul draws attention to these guys, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. They've stayed loyal to Jesus, uh, which is why they're loyal to Paul. That's why they've been a real comfort to him. Be like these guys, he says. Don't get pulled away to those other things that might say, well, if you do those, you're really in. No, 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 no. Unity in Christ means we put aside everything else that we might look to to be our identity. We don't unite around that stuff only with people who are like us. Instead, we focus on Jesus. He's the one that pulls us together. So most of Paul's team were not like him. Most of Paul's team were Gentiles. These three were Jews, but they are one big team because they've taken chapter 3, verse 11, really seriously. Have we taken it seriously? Would we be able to say, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We together are united in Jesus, not in any of the other things we might say, oh, well, there's this many Welsh ones, or there's this many people who vote that way, or this many... No, we are one in Christ. We see the unity playing out again with Mark. Verse 10, it sort of zooms in among those three on Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, in verse 10. That's the gospel writer, Mark. That's the same Mark in Acts 15, who is sort of the source of a bit of a bust-up between Paul and Barnabas. You can sort of see why there might have been a bust-up and why Barnabas might have sided with Mark, because they're cousins. Uh, but Mark had gone home early. He'd left the mission team early for reasons we don't know why. But it meant that Paul thought Mark is not a safe bet to bring with us next time. So some people are saying, bring him with us. Paul says, no, 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 he's a, he's a half job. He, he, he leaves when, it gets, when he's had enough. Here we are, years later, Paul mentions Mark and he says, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Isn't that good? You wonder whether the Colossians had heard the rumours, Mark's a bit suspect. I don't think, did you hear what happened? Oh, him and Paul, Paul wouldn't want us to, da, 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 da. he's unreliable. No, Paul says, welcome him. Welcome him back. Again, the, the false teachers set a very high bar. And if you fail to meet their standard, you're out. You are out. But the real gospel of Jesus welcomes people back. It gives people second chances. And so we mustn't hold, hold grudges. We mustn't hold people at arm's length. 
Jesus changes people. Haven't we seen that over the last few weeks in Colossians? Jesus totally transforms people. We need to allow for that. As members of one body, you were called to peace. So let's welcome people back. What unites us in Christ is so much more than the sins and the mistakes and the other things that might come between us. Are we living that out in when? Or are there other are people who, if other people have heard us speak, they might need some instructions about them to go, whatever they've told you, you've heard, welcome them back. Another amazing example of unity is Onesimus in verse 9. Or I was reading this, yeah, I thought, could be Onesimus, couldn't it? Maybe it's telling us the sort of clothes he used to wear. Uh, I think it's Onesimus, anyway. Uh, we know about Onesimus from the book of Philemon. Philemon was uh, delivered at the same time as Colossians. Philemon would have been somebody in the church in Colossae. Philemon was a slave owner. Onesimus was his slave. And for some reason, Onesimus had run away. He ended up in prison with Paul and became a Christian. And now, Paul is sending him back home. So he would have sent the letter of Colossians, the letter of Philemon, and his, a few of his team back to Colossae, and he's sending, we read about this in Philemon, how he's sending Onesimus back, not to face punishment, not to face trouble. He's sending him back, fully expecting a family reunion. Have him back, says Paul in Philemon 16. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And that's what verse 9 in our passage calls him as well, isn't it? Our faithful and dear brother. We thought last week about slaves and masters, about how Jesus transforms that working relationship. Isn't this a wonderful story of the gospel in action here? Here we've got a slave and his master. How often they're at odds. A slave, a runaway slave, <laughs> and his master. Fleeing from each other. Well, one's fleeing from the other. But now that they're both believers, they are family. They are reconciled enemies. That is what Jesus does. He reconciles us to God, and that brings us together. Unity in Jesus. It is so precious. Are we enjoying that? Are we valuing that? Are we prizing it highly? Are we preserving it? Are we furthering it? Are we welcoming people back? Dealing with the hurt that stops us welcoming people back. We need to do that. Because Christ is all. So we can be, in fact we are, united. But these list of names, they, they aren't just sort of hanging out together as a bunch of friends. We mustn't just picture unity as sort of facing one another gazing into each other's eyes. Instead, it's more like being next to each other, side by side, arms linked. We're not just gazing at each other. We're all facing forwards, eyes front, fighting the same battle, moving in the same direction, working on the same task, keeping going in the same direction. That's what unity is like. It's not sort of ingrown. It's forward-looking and outward-going. And it's keeping going when it's difficult. And that's the third and final big theme this pulls out. Persevering 
with Jesus. Keeping going with Jesus, even when it's hard. So if you remember that key verse from Colossians, this is the one to memorize if you want to get what the whole book's about. Chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. That's been the theme of this whole letter, hasn't it? Just as you received him as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Faith in Jesus, that's what saves you, and that is what keeps you going. So persevere with Jesus. We need to be told to do this, just as we thought this morning, didn't we, about running the race, persevere, keep going, because it's really hard. The people in this, uh, this section are described as ministers or servants. They describe the word for servants there is the same as slaves. This is hard work. They're called workers. They're praised for their faithfulness. Why would you keep going through prison? Why would you keep going through chains? It's because of the greatness of Jesus. That's why we keep going. That's why we persevere. There's an example of this uh, in Epaphras. We met Epaphras back in chapter 1. He is the person who first told the Colossians about Jesus. And he's still going here in verse 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, so he's originally from Colossae, and a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras is working hard. He is keeping going with Jesus. But what he's working hard at is helping other people to keep going with Jesus. That's what he wants them to be doing, standing firm, mature. Just compare that verse uh, to chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, if you want to flick back to that. Compare Paul's ministry to uh, Epaphras. Paul says his ministry is this, 1 verse 28. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now look at 4 verse 12. What's Epaphras' ministry like? He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. There's so much similarity between those two things. Wrestling, it's the same thing as strenuously contending. Really working hard. Paul is proclaiming. Epaphras is praying. But they've got that same aim, working hard so that other people would mature, so that other people would be fully assured so that other people would stand firm to the end. Do we pray for people like this? Are we committed to one another like this, that we would see them carry on with Jesus, agonizing in prayer for them? I find Epaphras' example very, very challenging, that he doesn't just see people converted and then leave them to fend for themselves. Even when they're at a long, far distance from one another, he's still working hard for them by praying for them that they will keep going. Sadly, not everybody does persevere. 
we get some bad examples here. They're good examples right now, but we kind of have the benefit of hindsight. So Demas is mentioned. Put a little X by his name so we don't think that's a good example like all the rest. No, he's a bad example because in verse 14, he's fine. He's just somebody sending greetings. He's a fellow worker. But by the time we get to Paul's final letter of 2 Timothy, we hear what's happened to Demas. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Colossians has been full of warnings to set our minds on things above. Don't set your mind on earthly things. Focus on Jesus, not on the here and now. Isn't it tragic that one of Paul's own team, who's with him while he's writing it, who's sending greetings in this letter, telling people to do that, doesn't end up doing it. Doesn't keep his eyes fixed on Jesus. He drifts away. He walks away from serving Jesus completely because he loves this world instead of setting his mind on things above. Not just individuals, whole churches. Laodicea are mentioned in 15 and 16. It was a city just 11 miles away from Colossae. We're told there's a church there at Nympha's house. I don't know who she is, but she had a big house so everyone could meet there. Just like us, that church needs to read the letter of Colossians and take it to heart, we're told. But a few years later in the future, Laodicea get another letter in Revelation 3 when Jesus is full of stinging criticism for them. Revelation 3, verse 17. You and Laodicea, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They think they're fine, and they're not. We're told in, in verse 15 of that section, you're neither hot nor cold, I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He says, you make me sick, says Jesus. Because you think you're fine and you're not. Within a generation, Laodicea fell to that level because they got complacent. See, when books like Colossians are telling us to persevere and continue in Christ, they're not joking. This isn't a command for other people. Let's not assume it couldn't happen to us or to this church. The if of Colossians 1.23 hangs over us as well. All those benefits of Christ will come to us if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. We need to persevere with Jesus which is what Archippus is called to do. Verse 17, in our, we're back in uh, Colossians 4. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received. This guy seems to have been a church leader. He's been given a job and he needs to finish it. He needs to do it fully. The word fully is a big one in Colossians. Lots about fullness. You're all missing out. You want the full package, you need Jesus plus other stuff. No, Jesus is the fullness of God. You have been filled in him. And so what do we need to do? Serve him fully. Complete the ministry we've been given. Not give up. Jesus is everything and so we give everything for him. 
No other gospel is going to keep you going when the going gets tough. When we're tempted to give up. Paul says to them, remember my chains in verse 18. Don't forget how hard this is for me. Don't forget how hard this is for many of us. You're not the only one finding it difficult. Don't give up. I wonder as we finish this series, where do we need to hear that encouragement? Where are we starting to flag, starting to give up, starting to give up speaking about him perhaps? Tempted to make not so much everything about Jesus because it could be a bit easier if we do that. Well, let's hear this encouragement. Let's remember those final words of the letter. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. This call that we've been hearing this evening about united and persevering and proclaiming, it's supposed to be an encouragement. It's not a heavy burden. The gospel is about grace. We don't have to save ourselves. I hope that's been very, very clear as we've gone through Colossians. You don't need to follow harsh rules or harsh discipline. You don't need to figure it all out. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to work yourself to death. Jesus has done it all. He is everything we need. It is all grace. Even this weird list of names is all grace. As it ends the same way the letter began, grace to you. Grace be with you. That's why we proclaim Jesus. Do you want to proclaim a bunch of rules and laws? No, we want to proclaim Jesus because he's all about grace. Do you want to stay united to other people who are just as good as you or maybe a bit better and can maybe pull you up by your bootstraps? No. We're united because of the grace of Jesus. Do you want to persevere? Keep those rules, keep those rules. No, we persevere because he's done it all for us. Christ is what we need. Let's pray that this would sink in. Loving Father, we thank you so much for all that we've been learning in this book of Colossians. We rejoice in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for giving him to us. Please would you help us to continue in him just as we received him, would we persevere in him. Convince us more and more that Jesus is utterly supreme so that we share him with other people and enjoy him together. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.